This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Have you ever had an uncomfortable experience in the workplace and not done anything about it because it may have involved your boss? Probably a few of you out there. But as we go back into the office and the pandemic wanes, the rise in social impact over the last couple of years has some thinking that a change around some of those issues could be at foot. Richard Schell is a professor of legal studies, business ethics, and management, as well as chair of that department here at the Wharton School. He is author of the new book, The Conscious Code, Lead with Your Values, Advance with Your Career, and he joins us to discuss this potential change. Richard, thanks for a few moments today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So this is an interesting dynamic and I think an interesting time in where we are right now with people going back into the office and the expectations that we've had kind of as a culture over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting how the sort of ethics and compliance thing uh, interacted with the pandemic. Because uh, on the one hand, you have the Securities and Exchange Commission reported record number of whistleblower complaints during the pandemic um, and payouts. So the fact that we had some distance from the office, I think, empowered some people who uh, knew about large-scale wrongdoing to kind of, um, you know, bring it to the attention of regulators, and that resulted in this spike of reporting on serious matters. On the other hand, the research that we're getting now on ethical culture uh, it runs in the opposite direction. Um, the uh, Ethics and Compliance Initiative does an annual survey. They've done it for about 15 years. And the, uh, the, between 1919 and 1920, the, the number of people who reported that they were in a strong ethical culture as a business plummeted uh, from a high about 24% down to 14% last year. And uh, the number of middle managers who reported observing unethical behavior in their workplace skyrocketed to 63 percent so 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 i think the pandemic may have encouraged some of the large-scale wrongdoings to get uncovered maybe people just felt it safer from a distance but on the other hand i think a lot of people were misbehaving in ways that could be observed uh maybe slacking in some way or engaging in conflicts of interest or uh, various kinds of, of nepotism or unethical behavior in it, and people saw more of it. Uh, and so now we're going back to the office. I guess the question is, you know, which of these two trends is going to be the dominant one? Are we going to see people more willing to speak up when they're in person about little things, the, the kind of everyday stuff that makes the workplace toxic, uh, and maybe then a reduction in some of the large-scale fraud reports, or what? It's going to be a – I think everybody's – um, tiptoeing back to the office in various uh, ways, shapes, and forms. But how how the ethics part is going to interact with that, I think, is a really interesting question, um, one that interests me specifically because I think uh, it, it, it really does – I think you can resolve these conflicts a lot more effectively in person, Yeah, you know, address them, bring them to people's attention, figure out some way to, uh, you know, get them aired in person than you can when you're on Zoom. So I think uh, the question would just be, you know, what what actually turned out to be the dynamics. So that being said, then, with uh, what you talk about in your book, if you can talk to us a little bit about that and and how it can be potentially impacting some of these decisions moving forward. Sure. 
I mean, I wrote the book, uh, The Conscious Code, as a result of my MBA class on responsibility. And I was just hearing, this is before the pandemic, I was hearing more and more uh, stories from MBA students who had arrived at our program after quitting their most recent job because of a kind of um, ethical disgust at what they've been asked to do, what they saw going on. And they used grad school sort of as a, a get-out-of-jail card to pivot of course, you know, that's a pretty expensive card to play, and yeah. uh, and you can only play it once even if you have that opportunity. So I wrote the book to try to help people think more systematically and more strategically about how to stand up as a person of conscience, do it effectively at work, and protect yourself at the same time. And I'm, a, I'm principally a negotiation and influence scholar. That's my main thing. And so I brought all the stuff I know about effective influence, persuasion, and negotiation to the problem of value and ethical conflict so that people could uh, do, it, do it more effectively. But my premise was definitely not a pandemic. So I think my book is really for people who are in the middle management, um, even the front lines. Uh, how can they better uh, enact their values, stand up for their values effectively, and I, you know, try to present some very practical tools. Uh, you know, it's kind of a four-step process to think it through, um, making sure that they find allies uh, really quickly and immediately in any process so they don't go alone, uh, and looking at the politics of the organization as something that you really need to be able to suss out in the same way you would use your organizational intelligence to try to get a initiative through an organization that's just a strategic initiative, exactly the same tools apply when you see wrongdoing and you're trying to make sure that uh, the right thing uh, gets done. Uh, and uh, so it's really an application of these well-known tools that we have uh, with respect to managing internal politics and how do you do it effectively when there's an ethical problem. Well, the expectation, I think, from a lot of people would be you hope that uh – that those middle managers and those executives have kind of those dynamics in play, uh, you know, already. But I, I think the other part about it is, is the expectation that is now thrust upon a lot of those uh, managers and, and, uh, and people from the other members of the organization at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be a renegotiation, I think, of who's got what, responsibility for what uh, as we go back in. And in, in general, the, the corporate office that's supposed to manage these kinds of conflicts is uh, basically, well, HR on the one side, uh, but more systematically, it's the ethics and compliance group. Uh, and both HR and ethics and compliance, in my view, are much more top-down than they are bottom-up. They see themselves a lot of the times as drafting codes or training people on what the rules are, um, uh, having monitoring of behavior to make sure they catch people who are breaking the rules. And all that is now going to be stressed with uh, the new in-person uh, situation that they have to sort of re-up. But, but in the end, I think this ethical culture is really where most employees would like to see the activities go. Uh, there's, there's nothing worse than having uh, every day be primarily dominated by anxiety and fear as the emotion that brings you to work. And that's what a toxic culture is. And an ethical culture is not necessarily everybody is behaving perfectly, but it's, it's, a, it's a culture in which people 
uh, are really seeking ways to give voice to the things that they feel are wrong or that need to be addressed to make sure that they are prevented from going wrong. And those those kinds of um, dialogues, the kind of openness and transparency that makes that happen, are are bottom up. And you know, I think it's going to be who we have a lot of Gen Z and millennial employees. Uh, I think it's no coincidence that I'm hearing more from millennials who've quit jobs because they found them ethically unsavory. I think mm-hmm. Gen Z's coming along, and they're the next generation of our MBA students. I think they're going to be more likely to vote with their feet when they find an unethical culture, too. So I think managers, uh, leaders, you know, really need to take these steps, and I hope the Conscience Code can be a good manual for them to hand off to their employees uh, to encourage people from the bottom to empower them and to protect them so that uh, they're the people who will help really create the cultures because their behavior is what dominates it. I think going back in time, Richard, and we're talking with Richard Schell, who's a professor at the Wharton School and also author of the new book, The Conscious Code, Conscience Code. Um, I think if you go back in time, there was probably the perception that there was a level of unethical behavior in some businesses. But now, and maybe this is to a degree to that generational shift that you're talking about, uh, that that the expectation is now you want to strive as much and as prevalent as you can for ethical behavior. There may still be instances that pop up, but you want them to be, you know, not the norm anymore in the scope of running operations. Yeah. I I think that's an aspiration for all of us. And I, and I think we don't want to paint too broad a brush. There are going to be certain industries that are going to be more uh, prone to having things go off the rails than others. I mean, I think you can pretty, closely monitor any industry that's driven solely by outcome metrics. They're just, they're just judging, did you make the quota? Uh, and they're not really paying much attention to how you made the quota. They're going to be the, the troublesome industries. And industries that pay a lot more attention to process, how, how, what's, our, what's our rules of the road? Uh, you know, how do we know whether people are driving safely? It's not just did they get to the destination on time. Uh, those are the cultures that I think people are going to be looking for to be more reinforcing and aligned with the values that they bring to the workplace. So I have this concept that I present in the book that I think is a, a useful way to frame it, because very often people talk about this subject and they get to quickly to the concept of, are you a whistleblower? And the whistleblowers are the ones that really are responsible for doing all the hard work. And I don't think the term whistleblower is very helpful. For the most part, it's uh, perceived to be some sort of rat or, uh, you know, person who's disloyal or they're willing to throw themselves off a cliff uh, to, you know, to, to throw their career away on behalf of whatever it is. I think more often and, and for more people, what you want to be is a person of conscience. You're probably a person of conscience at home. You're probably a person of conscience in your community. You bring your values. You, you know when people are lying. You, you try to encourage the people around you to maintain and, and behave in a way that's consistent with their values. Just bring that to work and be a con- yeah. person of conscience at work, as well as a sales manager, as well as a IT person. Be a person of conscience, too. And then when things come up, the question you ask is not, you know, am I going to be the whistleblower? The question is going to be, what would a person of conscience do in this situation? 
And more often than not, your moral intuitions are going to tell you, well, a person of conscience would probably try to, you know, do something. Then the question, and that's what the, my book, The Conscience Code, tries to help people with. Then the question is, what do you do? You've gotten over the hurdle. Okay, it's someone has to step up here. I think it's going to be me. Now, what's the roadmap for doing it effectively and doing it in a way that protects uh, you know, your job and your career and, and also gets this issue addressed? The, um, the, 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 new, the new world we're in, I think, is going to be a combination of in-person and, uh, and remote, and uh, that presents some interesting challenges for the interpersonal work that needs to be done, yeah. especially the foundation for all of, for all of this is trust. You know, you trust your manager, you'll tell them something that they need to know about, you know, the sales executive who's cheating on their uh, sure. sales reports yep. and, and bringing false data in. You don't trust your manager, you don't report it, and then the firm has got phantom sales. And after a little while, they've got a phantom quarter, and then they've got a bankrupt company. So, uh, so I think a lot of this, in a, you know, in-person stuff is going to be helpful for us. Because it's in person that we build trust. I don't know about you, uh, but I've done a lot of meetings online in the last year, and yes. it's hard to build trust at a, on a Zoom call. Um, yeah. It's just very, very difficult to know how to read people. So I'm looking forward to getting back to work. I've, I've got my first in class, in person class coming up this summer, and uh, everybody's vaccinated. Uh, I feel great about it, and I think the students are going to be back in the fall. I think companies if they handle this right, are going to welcome people back, but they're going to empower them to be people of conscience and yeah. to make the well-being of the ethical culture in their organization's job number one or two, uh, as well as you know getting yeah. their work done. Richard, great to talk to you. Thanks very much, and I look forward to seeing you back on campus at some point here uh, when we get back in the fall. Thank you, sir. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. Richard Shell. The book is The Conscience Code. Uh, lead with your values. Advance with your career. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.